Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. So how was your week? Dude, I would say that my week was pretty good. I think my biggest challenge besides writing, because I think writing has always been hard, but the biggest challenge was trying to listen to the first episode. I won't lie, the first few hours after you sent over that it got posted, I was dreading listening to it because I was so worried about... (laughs) I don't like listening to my own voice. I know not a lot of people don't, but I was also super worried about sounding stupid, feeling embarrassed. But after I listened to it, I had this really weird experience of wanting to be better, wanting to improve on it, and just to continue going. It got me kind of excited. I remember the first time listening to myself. Yeah, I hated it. I think for the first like 20 or 30 episodes, I just did not like my own voice. Despite what people would say, you know, like, oh, you have a great radio voice, podcast voice. And I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> You're just you know, being nice. <laughs> I think after a while, I just stopped caring. <laughs> it's just like, what does it matter? It's, it's my voice is my voice. I can't really change it. But what took me a while to get over to is kind of what I'm doing right now is stumbling through my words or mispronouncing things, slurring certain words, right? Because, or you and I might be very similar. It's like our mind is going much faster than our mouth is. So it's hard sometimes to properly enunciate. And, and I can tell why, like, jokes aside, it's tough being an anchor person, right? That's why in like Anchorman, like unique New York, how now brown cow, you know, like, yeah, definitely. There are techniques that people practice to speak better. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I noticed was in when I, I think I sent this to you when I mispronounced expectation and I pronounced it like excerptation or something. And I just continued talking. And you understood what I said, but when I heard it, I was thinking to myself, when did I say that? Why did I say it like that? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't hear that. The only thing I heard that the first time I thought you said, when you said courage to be disliked, it sounded like curse to be disliked. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's totally fine. The link's going to be in the (laughs) description anyway. It doesn't matter, like honestly. And with Clever now, the, you know, our app, it doesn't even matter more. Plus, the crazy thing is that with Descript, if we actually submit like an hour and a half of our voice, we can actually generate it, AI. Whoa, that's awesome. With, you know, deep fake. So if we mispronounce a word, you can actually change it. But I've never got around to doing it, but you need to submit like an hour to an hour and a half of your voice. And how it works is that they make you read The Wizard of Oz for like 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then they could generate your voice. Just by typing in words. So soon we we won't even have to do this anymore. We just type stuff and send it over and pretend like we had a conversation. I mean, we're <laughs> not even doing this now. That's that's a good point. That's true. Hit delete, delete, backspace, backspace. Yeah. Type. <laughs> I've been using Clever a lot to listen to podcasts. I really love the chapter show notes. I love that you can go to the episode notes. Cause I was even today I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and they said something. And I was like, oh, I need to come back to that. But I forgot what time it was. And then I was like looking through your app 
And I was like, when the hell? And I was like scrolling back and forth. And I was like, oh, wait, episode notes. And I went there and it was right there. It was amazing. Was it like a note that you took? No, it was… Like something we highlighted. Something you guys highlighted. Wow. And it just happened to be what I was looking for. That's cool. I mean, right now we we don't have like a structured way of doing this. I mean, with Tim Ferriss, he does have a lot of links on his blog. And so we just tie them back to you know, our app. But I'm so glad you find value in that because when we built this app or when we set out to build this app, we just set out to have a hypothesis around it, right? That we had these pain points. And so really proving out that there is a product market fit, that other people have similar pain points, that they want to engage with podcasts was and still is a difficult challenge because the status quo is that people listen to podcasts on the go, right? They're listening passively, right? Mm -hmm. And this is like a, a passive learning tool. They're not really intending to use this actively. And we wanted to challenge that status quo and say, why can't people learn actively on this platform. But yeah. the big problem in that assumption or in, in that statement is that I think we're trying to force like a new habit, a new behavior. And that is typically very tough. But we're not sure, <laughs> to be honest. I can see that because even with when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm not taking notes during it. Like you said, I, I'm usually listening to it when I'm running, I'm walking somewhere, I'm in the car running errands. Like I'm not going to be able to take the notes. I actually listened to this episode first on Apple's podcast. And then I decided, hey, I'm going to use Clever. I'm going to switch everything down <laughs> to Clever. Because the episode I was listening to was with Tim Ferriss and General Stanley McChrystal. He wrote a book called Risk, A User's Guide. And I, when I was listening to it, and I was listening to it while I was walking, I was thinking, like, man, these kind of points, these risks are kind of like these difficulties that we want to avoid. And yeah. I was thinking that maybe this is something that we could tie into about what we talk about, how we might want to avoid struggles. Like we said before, you can't do that. You have to accept that life is going to, you can't prevent all the threats that's going to happen to you as you're living. And so yeah. I was just thinking about what he was saying. And he talks about separating the decision from the outcome. And I wanted to go back to that point and re-listen to that point because I was like, oh, I remember hearing it and it made me feel a certain way. And I was trying to find it. I didn't know it was, I was like, what did he say at like the 40-minute mark or the 20-minute mark? I'm like, I don't remember. And then I just happened to stumble the episode notes. I was like, this is fucking awesome. That is awesome. And so I was able to jump to that. And then I just jumped to other sections that was highlighted. And I thought that all of it was, wow, these are all the points that I really wanted to re-listen to. So I don't know. I, I found it really convenient. I'm going to continue listening to it, to all podcasts now on Clever. And I'll let you know what I think and if it helps. Yeah, let us know how we can improve it. <laughs> well, actually, most importantly, James, uh, this is totally off topic, but let us know if you find yourself wanting to switch back to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the crucial moment that we are trying to figure out. Because if there is an impetus for you to switch back, there's always a reason for it, right? Like there's a killer feature that you personally need that we don't have. But just catch that moment or, you know, it might just be a habit thing. So just see if you can catch yourself going back. And if you do, just let us know what that is. And I wouldn't be offended if you went back because <laughs> we've been building this product for 
nine months. <laughs> so officially, like full full time, we've been building this product for like three three and a half months now. Wow. So it hasn't even been, been that long. So yeah, it seems pretty solid for now. Thank you. I guess to that point, my biggest struggle this week was. Well, my biggest struggle right now is remembering what my struggles were this past week. <laughs> and I had this thought earlier this week because I do remember struggling on something. And I thought, hey, I should jot this down in a journal or I should ping James about it so that we can go back and talk about it. Because I realized for us to do this podcast, it's either on like a Monday or like today it's a Tuesday. Maybe we're in a great place today, right? And I'm not a person to hold on to bad feelings. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to hold on to something if I'm feeling great. So that's one thought I, I had is to actually leverage this as, since we're reviewing the week anyways, make sure that we log our struggles so we can share them, talk about them. It makes sense. As a founder, it might be hard for you to come to a like something to discuss because you might have a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of things that you have to be juggling and any given point, any of those is like, oh, this could be something cool to talk about. I think just even for us, like living in general, it's just, it's a roller coaster ride, I feel like. Actually, I don't know. It is a pretty wild roller coaster ride being, you know, a startup founder. For you, do you find it pretty wild or is it pretty even keeled? Are you saying my life or when I was part of startups? No, your, your life. Oh, my life? I think my life is, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that has been my overarching theme in my life. Even during college, I, I kind of felt very lost and confused, out of place, no direction. You're podcasting. That's what you're doing. <laughs> you know, it's crazy is I'm actually writing about this feeling, that feeling that I first felt after listening to our podcast, excuse me, on wanting to be better at something and dismissing my fear of, how bad I think I did. Yeah. For me, that was the first time that I can recall that that has happened. And even starting this podcast was almost like a stroke of luck. I think that if I wasn't lost, if I wasn't confused and just moving from place to place, jumping from job to job, I wouldn't have ever ended up writing or talking about you know, mental health, writing about mental health, going to Vietnam and developing an app based around mental health, and then talking to you about it, which then eventually led to, oh, hey, wh why don't we try doing this weekly? Because we like what we're talking about. I was like, okay. Yeah. And I'm still trying to piece together this weird experience that I found after being lost for so long. Yeah. And I think that life is just, it's still kind of a roller coaster, even though. I haven't really been working and I've just been focused mainly on trying to write and trying to figure out what the hell to do next. And I feel like that's one of the strengths of this, what we talk about is because we're on opposite ends of a spectrum. You are a founder, you are a full-time employee, full-time founder, full-time husband, full-time dad, right? I'm none of those things. And I have probably more time than I should be having. But at the same time, I'm in these real dumps, really negative place for a long time. I don't know. It's just really interesting to be excited about something. And it's been like you were saying at the beginning that maybe this has helped you, right? And it was like therapeutic in a way. Like talking to you and recording this. I know this is only the fourth time that we're doing this, but 
it's the one thing I kind of look forward to every week for the last few weeks. I'm like, dude, I'm pumped to be talking and to be talking into this cool mic that I got that makes me feel professional and really cool. (laughs) Yeah. So in that sense, yeah, it's also been very therapeutic because I might think about the difficulties and struggles I've had last week. And it might be weird to try to recap about, man, why was last week so hard? But at the same time, talking about that to you has really made me think about it in a much different mindset, in a very different way to be like, okay, how can we overcome from this? What are the things that we learned? What can we learn this one week? And how do you apply it to the next one? That's right. And how do I become better as like I pursue this craft of podcasting? Yeah, I like that. I like how you like synthesize things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks. I think it's a good skill. I'm not even quite sure what you mean, but... What I mean is like for all my busyness, the challenge, the struggle, this is actually a real struggle, is having enough time to, to think, to synthesize, to make sense of what's going on in my life. And I think you can also see it as a blessing that you have that space to synthesize. And yeah, I think we talked about this last week or two weeks ago. It's like, what is productivity, right? Productivity is very much defined by output. We don't consider time off as productive. We don't consider time with family as productive, right? <laughs> it's just like, why not? Yeah. So that's cool. Speaking of the courage to be disliked, did you end up finishing it? I'm not all the way through yet. I'm just halfway. I, I find myself rereading a lot of parts and I just got to the fourth night. The center of the world is. Ooh, okay. I had the same challenge when I was listening to this book. I was like rereading different parts over and over until I finished it. Where the center of the world is. I think it's because it's pretty relatable and, and it seems like each chapter could be taken by itself. Yeah. Each section. And there's a lot of key takeaways that you can pull from that. Have you restarted? Yeah, but I, I'm only on like the second chapter. I'm just looking through the third chapter here. Desire for recognition makes you unfree. Yeah, I think that's really, it's very powerful. So recently, my brother introduced me to the Enneagram, Enneagram personality test or something like mm-hmm. that. And I've never, I've never heard of that before. So I took it and I found myself to be a two. I, I didn't study very much on it, but it just said that a person that's a two is... It's kind of like a caregiver. He wants to take care of people. But Mm. there are two sides of it. You can end up wanting to take care of people because you want to be liked. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, that's me. I know that I do a lot of things so that I get approval from other people. Mm -hmm. And so I I was reading that chapter. I was like, God damn it. This is really speaking to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The other breaks down a lot of stuff about into tasks. Like being liked is not your responsibility. It's actually on the other person to either like you or not. What you can do is you just focus on yourself. And if you do something that's true to you, it's not up to you to want them to like you. Yeah. And if you are pursuing a life of wanting others to like you or to recognize you, then you're just going to be, you're not going to be free. Because even if, let's say your world is 10 people and all 10 people like you, all of a sudden, if you do something different and one of them doesn't like you, you have to change your entire life to get that one other person to like you again. And so you're restricted and limited in how you live your life. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's tough, right? Because going back to what 
I mentioned last week, the whole idea of like significance and belonging. I think our desire to be liked is our desire to belong, right? Yeah. It's a very strong desire. But Kishimi's point is that belonging is something that you do or something that you achieve by just being yourself. (laughs) Yeah. By being authentic to yourself, not by trying to conform to what you think other people want you to be. Mm -hmm. And that's a good reminder, I think, too, about what we started out talking about, podcasting and not liking our voice and all these things. Like These are things that we want, right? Other people have the same fears. They have the same problems of speaking publicly as well. But here you are doing it. (laughs) In some ways, overcoming your fear, right? And it's inspirational because we're doing uncomfortable things. We're talking about very personal things. And at the end of the day, like that's part of belonging is, is intentionally or unintentionally making yourself relatable. Can we go back to the point about belonging and trying to be light? So mm-hmm. I feel like you as a CEO and founder will have this problem. I think a lot about running a company is, like you said, you're building this new app that you're not sure will be accepted into the public or not. And so you have this vision of what it should be and how you can change people's behavior. And you're hoping that people will like the app and what it's going to be used for. And that's Mm -hmm. your, it's kind of your North Star, right? You had this view of what could be done. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times with founders and CEOs, they run into the difficulty of wanting to be liked by everyone. And so the product starts to evolve because they forget what exactly they built it in the first place. That's why they say, oh, you need to build around like a key-centered customer, the customers, right? And mm-hmm. or like for a small niche, you can't build something for everybody. Like if you have a thousand true followers, then you're doing something right versus a yeah. hundred thousand people who kind of half-heartedly like it. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard thing for CEOs to at some point to overcome because once they start accepting investments, you have different people to have to like you, right? You need your investors to like you at some point. Yeah. But why they like you is going to be separate. I think that's going to be a really hard part as a leader of an organization is to stay true to the reason why you started the company. And especially as the company gets bigger, as more people use it. Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of ideas and concepts in there. As you were saying that building a product that people will like I typically would frame it and think about it a little bit differently. It's a similar idea. It's just different wording, but we're trying to build a product that actually solves people's problems, right? Right. And obviously, if we solve their problem, they're going to like it. So it is synonymous in that sense. So that's on the product side. So we'll keep that separate because the product always, and you're absolutely right, should be shaped around the customer, not what investors want or mm-hmm. what advisors <laughs> want, right? It should be shaped around the customer. Now, in terms of wanting investors to like us. It's true. I mean, we want investors that believe in our vision. And I think that the difficulty as a startup founder, especially in the early days, is maybe not just in the early days, always, is in the early days is just identifying your vision, figuring out what it is that you want to rally around. But then as your company evolves, like look at Facebook today, what is Facebook rallying around? I don't think they've taken time to really rethink what their company is about. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was about connecting the world. But then their product changed. The platform changed. How people used it changed. 
how it affects the social fabric has changed, right? But mm-hmm. have they rethought about who they are today, what they represent today? I don't think they have enough or done that enough. Yeah. And they might not be able to because they're trying to please everybody. Yeah. There's just too many customers, too many voices. That's true. And at these times, maybe that's why companies get broken up. I know there's some capitalists listening out there who'll be like, oh no. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but it's like you look at history, it's an ebb and flow of, you know, just look at ATT Bell, right? Things like become too big and they need to get broken up, not just for like anti monopolistic reasons, but because they get stale, they fail to innovate, they become too stagnant. Yeah, they get too big. They can't move all together in the same direction. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, these are actually pretty deep topics that will take us multiple episodes to unravel. Yeah. (laughs) So what was the hardest thing for you last week? Do you remember? Hardest thing for me last week? I can remember the hardest thing that I overcame last week, which was overcoming this expectation that my business partner has of me, which she doesn't have, but it's Mm -hmm. in my head. Like being comfortable hiring people to help support me because I'm supposed to be the quote unquote seasoned entrepreneur. You know, I've started multiple businesses. I've worn many hats over the past 12 years. I know how to do a lot of things. So I should be doing them, right? That's why I'm the CEO. Right. And that was kind of my mindset. And I'm not saying that mindset is far from correct. But that was my mindset that I thought my partner had expected of me versus he doesn't have any of those expectations of me. They were just in my head. (laughs) I should be hiring people because I can't... Sure, I can do a lot of things, but I can't do everything well. But I felt like if I hired someone to do X, I was relinquishing my duties. Instead of saying I was delegating, I felt like I wasn't doing my job. Like I wouldn't be doing my job as a CEO (laughs) if I didn't do these things myself. Yeah, And I don't know why it's such a perverted way of thinking about this. And again, nobody had set this expectation that I had to do it, right? But it was just me, myself, and I thinking like, I have to do everything that's under my purview, not everything, but everything that's like under the CEO's umbrella. Maybe it's your entrepreneur side. It's just who you are and how you've gotten here so far. Now your focus on what has to be done has evolved and you have to rise to that evolution and change with it. I think you're spot on. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. And this is what I mean. You have good insights and synthesize things. And I say that because you're you're absolutely right. I am used to running a different type of business, right? A business that is bootstrapped, that's operating at my pace. Mm -hmm. But now I'm working with somebody else, working with investor money. So we need to move at a different pace because we're going to run out of money in X number of months, right? Yeah. Until I go out and fundraise more or we make revenues. No, you're absolutely right. And I didn't adapt to the new demands of the business. It's definitely hard. Yeah. Because it's what you're comfortable with and what you know. Exactly. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Like it's what I'm comfortable with. And part of it is this inability to let go because you always think, like, I know how to do this, so I can do this the best. Mm -hmm. Like, if I have to hire someone, teach them, train them to do it, it's going to be more effort. That's always like the challenge with delegation. Yeah. And so, Sometimes you just end up doing it yourself, right? And that's why, like, it's funny I say this because that's one thing I like. I hated about hates a strong word. I very strongly dislike Chinese restaurants sometimes because I'm just like, dude, or Asian businesses 
because they're so afraid to let go, right? Like a Korean dry cleaner. Like they just run, end up running that all their life versus yeah. like freaking P.F. Chang's like, boom, like we build a process. We teach other people how to do it. Not only do we succeed more as a business and build a massive chain out of it, but we create a lot more jobs. We create a lot more opportunities for other people, right? And it's, it's a win-win. So it's hard to break out of that. Sean, do you also think that part of the reason why you don't want to hire someone is because you can do it, so you don't need to like spend money to hire someone to do it? Is there a thought in there too? There's definitely an element of that, but I think after 12 years now of entrepreneurship, I've definitely, you know, I've hired a lot of people over the years and our alumni fund side, we have 20 some people working for us now. So definitely not allergic to that. I think the biggest thing that holds me back honestly, the biggest struggle is not knowing who to hire, right? Because if it's just like one or two tasks, you're like, I can't hire someone full-time for that, right? Right. And then you need to then craft like a job description, pull a bunch of your own tasks out, like extract like, okay, this one person can do all these things until you can aggregate enough tasks where you're like, all right, either I can hire someone full-time or part-time for this position, right? Mm -hmm. Until you can figure out what the job description is. Actually, that's just my biggest, it's not a fear, it's just the reason that I procrastinate on hiring is that I just haven't figured out who to hire and what it is that I need them to do. And it takes time. This is definitely a skill I think I need to develop more, but that was the biggest struggle, I would say, for the past four months since we fundraised was trying to figure out who I need to hire. We've identified those roles now. So, okay, I, I remember my, my struggle for the past week now, James. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, the solution was so simple. You know, I've just described to you the struggle of like trying to figure out who to hire, right? What are the job descriptions? Well, we need somebody to help us onboard podcast hosts. So I am the face of the company out there talking to customers, um, talking to podcast hosts, getting them into our platform and having them promote Clever to their audiences and whatnots, right? But once I sell them on it and close them on it, and they're just like, yes, we want to join this platform, we then need to execute on onboarding them, making sure that they're like integrated into our system, right? Mm -hmm. That their episodes are tagged. There's just so many little minute details that we go through. And then also share with them copy to share with their audience or social media assets to share on their social media about their partnership with Clever. There's a lot of executional things on the backend operations. And I was just like, this sounds like a new role. Never existed before. We're like doing this, you know, fresh. Yeah. And then Servi went to like dinner Friday, like a birthday dinner. And he met this guy who works at Turo. And this guy's job is like client onboarding, like host onboarding, <laughs> right? Turo is a, you know, like a rental car company, like Airbnb, right? Renting houses. Like it just clicked for us. We're like, hold on, this role exists everywhere from Airbnb to Uber, like any marketplace slash platform that's two sided has an onboarding team for like the supply side, <laughs> yeah. right? So I literally went to go look up like the job descriptions for, you know, some of them are actually literally called host onboarding. Obviously, Airbnb host is a different host than the podcast host, but the job description was like spot on. <laughs> like <laughs> we didn't have to come up with this. So it was just right there, like copy paste. <laughs> exactly. Like every single line was just like, wow, I couldn't have written better myself. And this is like a billion dollar company. They probably said like, Millions of dollars crafting this. And I was like, this is perfect. And the lesson there was a lot of times, I think many times with anything in life, we do tend to overcomplicate things. And there is definitely a simple solution. But 
the difficulty is having the visibility to see that there is a simple solution. Starting podcasting, a lot of people think it's like really difficult. It's like, no, we just bought you a $140 mic setup and boom, off we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was my, my biggest struggle. Uh, it's hard to see that when you're, when you're in the thick of it. Yeah, if you're in the weeds, you can't see, I don't know, just being in the weeds, it's like, and you can't see past it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you kind of look up and you're like, oh, well, shit, that's it. You know, and before you're so focused on the details, I feel like that's really, that only comes together in hindsight. For sure. Yeah. It's tunnel vision, right? It's when you get tunnel vision, when you have blinders on. So that was the biggest struggle, but we figured out we need a, basically a host onboarding slash customer success person. This is potentially our first hire, someone who can help us with just successfully onboarding podcast hosts and help making them happy. And then the second role, we need a backend engineer to support Survey. And we need a marketing and growth hacker. Nice. So there's like three positions right there that we need to figure out. <laughs> the next struggle is figuring out how to fill how to like Those roles. Yeah, fill these roles, source them. And not just source them. And this is something that maybe you know, a listener can help out with, but it's sourcing in an equitable way as well, right? In a diverse, inclusive way. Because the easy way is just to take whoever that comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever's in our network. But our network, you know, Serbia's Indian, I'm Chinese, so it's probably going to be some Asian male, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's not a good way because then, then we end up building a company that just keeps looking like us. And so that's, I know that's going to be the next struggle, but I think awareness is a first step for us right now. What if you contracted a recruiter and that, that way the network just kind of expands dramatically and it could be a one-time type or like paying by like hire yeah. or something. I'm sure there's someone like that. That's not a bad idea. That's a great idea. We're thinking of that. We're thinking of tapping to our advisor networks and investor network, AngelList, obviously, my Berkeley network. So yeah, we need to get that search going ASAP so that <laughs> I can get some support. Dude, first hires, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. I mean, we're, we're looking for founding team members. If I know anyone, I'll let you know. But my network is all Asians too, <laughs> since I'm also Asian. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. They're Asian. We just need some gender diversity, definitely racial diversity, but just need more diversity than two Asian guys. That's pretty cool that you're thinking of that already at this early stage. Maybe a lot of people wouldn't think about that kind of stuff. Like they're just looking to hire someone that kind of fits the job. And at this point too, a lot of times you're so overwhelmed with work. You just want someone, anyone to come in and help. Yeah. You kind of have knocked off very clear three hires. You know what to do next. Yeah. Wait, James, I just like, I was like, wait, what did James do? In SF? I was mainly, I would say I was in a really specific niche. I was the operations team between products and engineering and sales. It's very specific to early stage softwares that want to automate an old process. For example, at the most successful company I was at was probably Zenefits, and they were automating the entire health insurance industry. Yeah, And back in the day, it was all filling out paper forms, right? And so you have to automate that entire process. But people don't know that while you're automating, you're actually having to do a lot of manual things. And so my team was finding out ways how to automate the forms, 
get the right questions into the front end flow so we get the right information and then working with the insurance companies to find better, more efficient ways for them to accept the applications. Did you enjoy that job? <laughs> I mean, you're head of operations, the VP of operations. Yes and no. Honestly, a lot of it also depends on the team. I loved my team at Zenefits. They were the best. I think they were probably the best team I've ever had. And to be able to work with them, it was just like they saved my life. And the only reason I did well is because of them. And I found that out very hard ways later on. Not to say that other teams that I've had weren't that great, but the team there was just really special. They just made my life a lot easier. Hmm. But it was a lot of work. It was really hard. And actually, I would say the job was kind of shitty. The example that I gave is like Expensify. (laughs) So like at Expensify, when they first came out, they said, take a picture of your receipt and you'll automatically get the information uploaded into your app. But Mm -hmm. what they didn't tell you was that someone on the back end was looking at the photo and manually typing it in. That's right. That's what Zenefits was. I see. And that's what a lot of my roles were, was working with people to automate the manual parts. And to go through that process, you have to learn by doing it manually. Yeah. And then feeding it and working with the engineers and the product people to improve the software on the back end as the front end is being developed. And so my team was the middle bridge that was doing that work. Do you want to do this for Clever? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I mean, that's part of what we need. We'll take this offline, obviously, but (laughs) with anything AIML, right? Go to Expensify. Like Expensify is notorious. Everybody thought it was automated, but they literally had a team overseas until I I heard until like Series D. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Like Series D. like That's insane. You know, like hundreds of millions of dollars raised, right? And then they're just like, okay, we know how to build it now, right? But it's not that they're lazy about it. And there is a reason. And this is the advice that we got around anything AIML. Is that you don't just go straight out building AIML. Because half the time, you don't know what you're building. Like, what do you need to build, right? What do you need the machine learning to do? And so the advice we get is always to do it manually. And then you learn from that process of doing it manually what you need to automate and then you automate more and more of it obviously but that's i can share this with you on this podcast because not many people hear it at least not many of our competitors (laughs) will hear it but that's really what we're doing like these smart nodes they are manually generated these tags are manually done right now by a team behind us right and we are building this plane as we're flying it as they say yeah and we definitely want to automate it but for now, it's just like we're, we're manually managing this. That makes sense. Those smart notes that you saw from Tim Ferriss, manually done. <laughs> Every single one. Well, kudos to whoever did that in the back end because <laughs> I loved those notes. That's funny. So I have a thinking on why Expensify took so long. Besides like how hard it is to automate something, but also it's the last 20%. When I think about my team at Zenefiz, we were able to automate 80% of the forms within a year. Yeah. But if it's not 100%, you still need manual work, right? You still need review. That's what we expect too. When we sell the product to hosts and investors, that's what we tell them. You know, Netflix today, right? You go to Netflix, you look at how their shows are tagged, right? The categories. I found an article that I read earlier this year that it's AI-assisted human labor. Basically, AI will go through and tag and propose a bunch of tags and then a person actually then picks the categories out of that 
suggested list. And that's pretty much what we're going to do as well. Because NLP can get us like 80% of the way, and then the, the rest of the 20% will be human labor. That sounds terrible. Like, we'll be curated. <laughs> we'll be curated by an individual. I think that's what most of AI is actually heading towards. I don't yeah. think people realize that just because something is AI or automated, they expect that it's just a computer doing everything. But no, computers are actually really, really stupid. Yep. You have to tell them exactly <laughs> what to do. Yep. And you need someone who has the best computer in their head, a human, to be able to clarify that last remaining, whatever it is, 20%, 10%, 1%, whatever. It's the meaning. Yeah. Computers can't tell you meaning, at least not yet. Maybe one day. One day when they listen to this, they're going to come back for us first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First to exterminate, <laughs> insulted us. First to rebel against Skynet. Yeah, awesome. I think we cover a lot of ground today. This was actually a really interesting conversation. I love talking to you because we just don't know where it's going to go and always go somewhere. Fascinating. So, yeah, I'm glad I was able to share kind of the startup struggle with a very relevant story. Thanks for sharing. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. All right, James. This is really fun. And until next time. See you, Sean.